last week, took a trip. Uh, Sasha had a school break and we went to the Asturias, which is northern central Spain. I hadn't actually even heard of the Asturias before a couple months ago when Heather started talking about this trip. Met some friends up there, Sasha's friends from school and their parents. And it was a, it was a fun trip. It was uh, a lot of hiking and biking and outdoor stuff. And it was rainy and kind of chilly up there. Not, I wouldn't say it was cold, but it's uh, they were just kind of shutting down their whole tourist season right at the end of when we were there because it's just too chilly and rainy there. And there's sort of this like arbitrage opportunity, if you can handle bad weather, that places like northern central Spain and the mountains, which is just a beautiful, incredible place, and it's not expensive and not developed, overdeveloped. It's, it's nice. It's not crowded. Maybe in the summer it's more crowded, but it certainly wasn't crowded in late October, early November. Um, there's just so much untouched, beautiful countryside in places where the weather isn't good, right? When the weather's good, people tend to know about it and have populated it and it's, it's crowded and expensive and more difficult. And it's funny because the weather matters a lot, apparently to human beings, because we, we don't tend to go to places like this, but it was, it was really cool. We went on a 14 mile hike in this, these gorges and canyons and mountains and it's kind of hard actually my it's wearing these uh, in vivo barefoot shoes i like because you can spread your feet out it doesn't crunch your toes together but they're really thin the ones i have it's like being barefoot almost a thin layer of rubber between your foot and the and the and the surface you're walking on and this is like jagged rocks and by the end of the 14 miles i felt like at first it was like a foot massage like every rock was like digging into the fascia of the bottom of my foot and i have some like fascial issues in my left foot at first it kind of felt good, but after like the eighth, ninth, 10th, 12th mile, I was like agony. I was like getting, it was intense, but it was good. I got some good pictures from it. It was, it's cool. You're like walking, you know, there's like a hundred foot drop off, no rail. It's wide enough. It wasn't really scary. It was windy at a couple points, but you're just kind of like, you know, if you, if you're one of those people looking at his phone too much or trying to take a selfie too close, a couple of people did die. I told Sasha that after and she was very uh, like, wow, like, well, we didn't die at least, you know, like, like we could have died on this. Of course you could have died. There's a hundred foot drop off, like two feet to your left, you know, like you just got to pay attention, but it really wasn't uh, a horribly hard hike. It was a little climb, but most of it was relatively flat. It's just long. 14 miles is a decent amount of ground to cover in a day, but everybody made it. It's good. It's enjoyable. One, one of the things on the trip, that was interesting is it's uh it's an area known for its cider and i love cider because i've been gluten-free for like 14 years and i just can't drink most beers most places don't have gluten-free beer but there's cider in places so i always get the cider and not that sugary summersby shit it's basically like apple juice i'm not drinking coca-cola i'm not drinking apple juice for obvious health blood sugar reasons and so i don't really drink the summersby stuff which is basically just that with tiny bit of alcohol in it but i like the dry ciders and this is the area where they come from the really dry not sweetened at all ciders but i'm not drinking and our friends who we met there are i wouldn't say they're huge drinkers but they drink and we've definitely drunk quite a few times with them and so what was i going to do well so we went to cider houses and places to get steak and seafood and all the stuff they have and um, i would just have the first glass of cider and it would be two fingers they put, which is like an ounce and a half, two ounces of 6% cider. And then I would just switch the water after that. And it was actually fine. You know, like I don't have any difference in having a conversation with anybody and 
doesn't really affect my experience very much except that I don't have a hangover. You know, I once you like have a tolerance to alcohol, it's like you have to drink so much to really get the effect of it. Also, one two ounce glass of cider just doesn't make you know one or four really doesn't make much of a difference. It's just it's cleaner to have one. So I had one a couple of days. I had one twice in a day, lunch and dinner, but that was it. I drank water, and I felt good. It was like there was nothing. Uh, there was no negatives. You know, I got to try the local products, local artisanal stuff that they were making and didn't get drunk. You know, it was just uh, a good way to be. And I'm, I'm not like a purist about this. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with alcohol per se. It's just, there's just no point in me having enough to um, intoxicate myself and deal with the fallout from it anymore. I just, maybe I'll change my mind. I don't want to say I'm never going to do it. I don't, I don't really care. I'm not really, it's not that important. You realize like, it's just exactly the same and there's just no real price to be paid. I'm actually, you know, spending less money at dinner. All the cider was so cheap. I think they drank like three or four bottles of it. It was like 14 bucks for the alcohol. It was like three, three fifty for a cider bottle of cider. I mean, it's just so cheap there where it's made. So it was a good deal. And it was, it was a good trip. We did a bike ride, like a 20 mile bike ride and it was all downhill. So you're basically just coasting through these amazing scenery and, going past like farmhouses and cows and sheep and along a river the whole time I wiped out on my bike. I was going pretty fast and I thought like, you know, it was, felt like bulletproof. Everyone's going kind of slow. And then I tried to like take a turn on this wooden bridge and it was wet and there were like leaves on the bridge and my tire just skidded out. And I kind of jumped out of the way of the bike and thought I didn't really hurt myself. And they're like, are oh, you all right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But then I realized that my leg had gotten hit by the bar of the bicycle, like my ankle area and then i realized ow fuck that really hurt it was just like that metal i thought i jumped out of the way but i kind of smashed my bone in my lower leg you know right above the ankle with the bar of the bike and it was just this like i was like did i fracture something that's really hurts but then put a little weight on it no no extra pain i was like nah it's just like a just like a in your head you know bump in your head or something where it hurts like shit but like it's not you haven't done anything to yourself so I got back on. It was a little more, <laughs> I was like, shit, I got to be a little more careful going, you know, 20 miles an hour around a curve or whatever I was doing stupidly. And uh, it was a good, good ride. Everybody ended up wiping out once or twice. Uh, nobody got seriously hurt. I actually, over the worst of it, I, my chain came off and I turned my bike over to, you know, how to fix the bike chain. And when I turned it back over, I realized that I'd put the bike seat in some either horse or cow shit. And then it was on my hands. And luckily, Heather had wipes. She's now, ever since Sasha's a baby, she has baby wipes on her. But I used like half the pack. That was unpleasant to have all this like cow shit on my hands. But maybe that's an unnecessary detail about the trip. It's not really uh, central to it. But it's just a good outdoor trip. And uh, I feel like places like this, when there's bad weather in a place, it's rainy and a little chilly. These places are much more pristine and untouched. And you can get great deals. The first hotel we stayed at was like, it was a five-star hotel. It had an amazing spa. Food is great. It was like good service. I, I mean, I don't like traveling to places where they're like, it's really obsequious and they want tips and you just feel like a dick, you know, like, oh yeah, okay. You have, the, you have the money and they want it from you. And it's just like an uncomfortable feeling or, you know, just shit service. Like you get in France where they just don't give a fuck. And like the, the tub of the shower is leaking and 
they don't care to fix it and the sink is clogged, you know, just shit French service at like a $200 a night hotel, which is kind of cheap now, I guess, for the way the inflation has been. But still, it's not nothing. And they're just like, act like they don't give a shit. But this was like perfect. Like the, it's just like, you know, when you have like professional hotel service where they're like friendly and attentive, but they're not, they don't care. They're not trying to suck up to you or kiss your ass. They're just there if you need them and helpful and professional and good at their jobs. And that's what it was like. And it was it's cheap because you're at the end of the tourist season where it's raining and pretty empty, nice, pleasant trip. So that's why I didn't do a podcast last week. I was up there and uh, it was funny because we stayed at the fancy hotel for two nights and then we went to this like really cheap, like mo- it was like 75 a night, like lodge because to get into the park where the good hikes are, uh, you, you needed to be in one of these places. There were no like nice hotels and Heather is like got this weird, I mean, it's like a psychosis actually, like this phobia, like she, she puts this sarong that she bought. It's like cotton sarong down on the bed. Like she just want to lie in the bed. And this bed, it was pretty clean, but it was that lumpy bed. You know, it was one of those cheap hotels. But it turned out that like the food was really good there and like kids liked it. And I don't really care that much. I can, I mean, I can get grossed out if it's really bad. This wasn't that bad. Um, But it was more like the kind of place you'd go when you're a kid, you know, going on like a group trip, ski trip or something. It wasn't like a nice place. Uh, but it was it was perfect for us. It was it was great. But three days there after the nice place, and Heather was like, I could tell the the night that we got in there, she couldn't really tell online. I could tell like the day we got there. I was like, she's just barely holding it together. You know, she like won't take a shower in a place like that. Like I don't give a shit at all. But it's 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 not like I'm easygoing and she's uptight. It's like I'm middle, you know, middle. I'm a little snobbish with it, but not that bad. And she's truly, I mean, it's like a, it's like a phobia. It's like, an, she's like an insane person. She just, she, even in a nice hotel, she'll put it down, the, the blanket down. Cause she just want to touch the sheets. Um, it, it's like a psychosis. I probably shouldn't even be talking about it. It's really crazy, but she, she's aware how crazy it is. Anyway, that was that. I didn't, I just did my football stuff, watch some football. I didn't really do any non-football work, but I had a few ideas this week. One of them hit me like a lightning bolt yesterday after I did my run at the track and it's the idea of, of agency. And I was thinking about this. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but oh, it was because, you know, I'm on social media. I was on Twitter on Tuesday and then I was on Noster and I feel like there's just a lot of fear and whether it's the normie fears of pandemics and Trump, I don't know what the fuck they're afraid. It's so absurd. Like this, like, white supremacy is going to come get them or something. I'm not really sure what it is or the more sort of half awake fear of like totalitarianism and biomedical tyranny and all that stuff that I I think is more rational and more evidence-based, but it's still fear, you know, and you're sort of like fearing that the EU, they're trying to pass this like digital ID bullshit just passed like one thing. I mean, it's just, it's one thing after another, you read the news and you just have this pit in your stomach of fear. And then you have this hope, right? You have this hope that, you know, certain politicians will lose or certain people will get out of power or certain referendums will be voted down. And oddly, the Portuguese prime minister just had to resign due to some lithium mining scandal that he like gave his right hand man, gave contracts to his cronies or something. It's very weird. And you wonder why he's really resigning. Maybe he was against that digital ID thing that just passed. You never know. 
when someone resigns, like you're like, is he the bad guy? But probably not. Because the thing when you get busted for some minor scandal or like what Trump's being busted for, like the dishonestly overinflating his assets to get a better, better terms of a loan that he ended up paying back. I mean, stuff like that. That's not like nobody really gives a shit about in terms of like scandals. It's, it's nothing when they're actually getting prosecuted for that or resigning from office for that. You're like, okay, somebody who's the real bad guy is probably doing that because it's not like a legitimate thing where, you know, he was bribed by a foreign official or he was selling, you know, influence to the Chinese or something that's, you know, really like more treasonous. Um, this is like bullshit technical stuff that it's not very important. And so I wonder if this Portuguese prime minister was a bit based and uh, is getting removed by his, by the WEF overlords that sort of run the EU. So I don't know. It's a little concerning, but again, it's just more fear, fear that this could happen, fear that something bad will happen in Portugal, fear that X, Y, and Z. And, and then there's the other side of fear, which is hope. And I, you know, Michael Saylor, the giga Chad himself is always like, Bitcoin is hope. Bitcoin is hope. And, you know, hope is the opposite of fear. But I was thinking about it, and that's just not true. Hope and fear are two sides of the same coin. I mean, it's actually literally the same emotion, right? Like when you're hoping for something, you're fearing that it won't happen. And when you're fearing something, you're hoping that it won't happen. It's literally the same thing. It's just one is the positive version, one's the negative version, hope and fear. And they both sell, right? If you want somebody to listen to your podcast, you talk about scary stuff and they want to like listen to the fearful stuff to be, uh, what do we do about that? Engage with all their fears, right? Like I, maybe I'm guilty of that, but it's, it's organic. It's because I have these fears also, or these hopes that these things don't happen. So hope and fear sell, they get people to listen. Maybe I'm not doing enough hope and fear because it's not like I have a million listeners. So uh, I got to, I got to sell more uh, on this podcast, but those are not opposites. Those are sides of a coin, hope and fear. It's basically the same thing. But hope's not the opposite of fear. What is the opposite of? And it occurred to me, the opposite of fear is agency, right? Because hope and fear is a passive state. You're looking at external events over which you have no control and you're pining for it to go one way or the other or worried it'll go one way and hoping it'll go the other. But you're basically passive. Those are both passive emotions, hope and fear. But agency is different. It's like, all right, I'm going to take care of this. I'm the one who's in charge of what happens. I'm the master of my fate. That attitude of like, there are things that I can't control. A meteor can hit the earth tomorrow, but I'm the master of my fate in, insofar as what I can control. And that's, you know, that's the only thing that's relevant, right? Because if a meteor hits the earth, then it's not, doesn't really matter what we think about it. So agency is the opposite. And Michael Saylor says, Bitcoin is hope. And I actually think, no, that's actually not true. It's hope if you're just kind of holding to try to sell at a better price or trade it for something more. But it's actually agency. It's a bearer instrument. You know, it's not like hope, like, oh, I hope the bank lets me have my money. This IOU I have from them, these digital bits that say I have X amount that I can draw on if they let me withdraw it during business hours. Let me take it out. What's my limit to take out? Can I only take out X amount in cash if they green light my transaction, if they don't flag it for fraud, if they don't think I'm up to something no good, or if they don't approve of what I'm up to, that's hope, right? You're hoping the bank goes along with your, you think it will in most cases, but for now maybe, but it's still hope, right? You're still, it's permissioned and you fear that, you know, maybe you, you inflation will devalue your money or somebody won't 
sell you a house or a car or a stake for the same price they're selling to you for now. Even our monetary system, we've outsourced it. We've outsourced it to these ledgers that are run by third parties. And it's, we hope the stock goes up. We fear that it's going to go down. We hope that the price goes up. We fear that it's going to go down. But Bitcoin is actually a bearer instrument. It's, it's money itself. It doesn't have counterparty risk. It's full possession, full responsibility to remember your key or your seed and be able to access it. But it is a bearer instrument. It is agency. It is saying, I have the money and I can transact the money to whoever I want. And that's it. It's money as agency rather than money as permission. And that's the opposite of fear. So I think like instead of saying Bitcoin is hope, it's hope for the future. Yeah, I get it. A lot of good things will be solved if we don't have these third parties able to print and control the ledger, expand the ledger, redistribute the ledger according to their whims, which they do every day, right? I mean, if you're not aware, when they add money to the system, it's still a zero-sum game in terms of goods and services. Yes, technology and productivity can grow the pie for everybody. But in terms of the ledger, it's either in one person's account or another. There's a certain amount of goods and services in the world and the ledger says who they belong to. And if they add money to the ledger and dilute certain people, they're obviously going to enrich other people. Recently, it's been asset holders who have had the ledger moved in their favor and people who earn in cash and don't have a lot of assets, uh, they are uh, being diluted all the time, stolen from. And so this is a, a huge problem, but it's part of the deal you make when you outsource the money I mean, nobody consciously made this deal, but it's how it ends up being when you outsource the money to a third party and you have all this counterparty risk and risk that they're going to debase the currency. But Bitcoin is agency. And I was just thinking about it, not just in terms of Bitcoin, but just in terms of agency. Like you hear all this news and it's fear, hope, fear, hope. And the antidote is just agency. Like, okay, whether I know everything or not, you know, I'm going to go to the track and I'm going to fucking run and I'm going to save some money and I'm going to maybe buy the agency money for myself just in case. And I'm going to maybe drink a lot less alcohol and not compromise my uh, well-being with that just because people do it, just because we're used to doing it, just because I used to do it out of habit. It's interesting. I, I, was, I was thinking about this, that they say youth is wasted on the young. You know, when you're young, you don't really care about getting in great shape. I mean, some people did. I did for you know a couple months at a time here and there. And certainly when I played sports and wrestled in high school, I was in great shape. But in my 20s and 30s, I was like partying, a little bit out of shape, hung over all the time. And like youth is wasted on the young. And obviously, like I'm not really addicted to substances. I can have a cider with everybody and just drink water the rest of the night, even though they're drinking. And I felt like, you know, this sort of power of not being hooked easily onto these substances, it was wasted on me because I didn't use it to my benefit. I could have just, when everyone else had their problems getting off the booze or the cigarettes or the whatever, I was just like going along anyway because I could uh, instead of taking care of myself and uh, looking out for things that were more important. But it's funny because you can look back at your life like that saying, well, I should have started fasting when I was in my 20s. I would have been in great shape. I would have had more sex. I would have maybe made more money because I would have been more productive. I would have had, you know, opportunities that I squandered because I was wasting a day hungover, barely getting by. But then you think about it and you're like, yeah, but 
if I were wildly successful, maybe I would end up on Epstein's plane, you know? So you don't really know. You can't really look back like that. You just knew what you needed to know at the time. And you know, you know what you need to know now. And it's more just a question of, am I going to sit on social media and be pushed around by hope and fear? Or am I going to just have agency and just get shit done and do things that I like? And I also think there's like a, another sort of, trap that one falls into a bit, which is like the idea that like, oh, I'm productive and I have my list of things I'm going to do today and I'm knocking them all out and I'm running and I'm working out and I'm doing all this shit. That also is kind of empty, right? Like that productivity guy, like I'm Mr. Productivity and I, and in your mind all day as you're doing things, you're like, okay, did the run. Okay. Did that, did the essay, wrote the column, did the podcast, edited the podcast, took care of X and Y and Z, updated my software got a haircut. You know, you can, you can have like a hundred different things that you're like checking off each week and feel like that little bit of dopamine every time being like, yeah, good, good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And you're like patting yourself on the back every second you're recounting all the good things you're doing, but that's like so depressing and empty. And right? like, it's so boring. You're just like Mr. Achiever person. Oh, look, I'm not drinking. I'm doing all this good stuff instead. And then there's obviously the opposite where it's like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to booze and deal with it. I don't give a shit. I'm relaxed. I'm fine. All of these things, right? All these like talking to yourself stuff where it's like, I feel good about myself or I relax. I don't care about all this stuff. Every time, you know, it's just, you're constantly like trying to get this good feeling from something instead of just doing it. There's like a Zen saying that's nothing gets done and there's nothing left undone. Meaning you're not even doing it. You're just doing it. Like you go for the run because you get up and you go for the run and then it's over. And you did that obviously, but you're not like, yeah, I did my run today. I feel good. You just feel good because you did your run. It's not because you're telling yourself you did the run. It's because you did the run. You just do it. There's no trace. There's no congratulations. The doing is the doing. You know what you need to do. You do it. Or maybe you don't know what you need to do, but you just do something. Agency. Taking responsibility for it. So a couple other things I noticed. There's a couple things that happened in the, the media recently, which are unusual. But when you read the legacy media, the pertinent question is always, why am I hearing this? Not, is this true? Because whether it's true is not relevant to them. It doesn't mean everything they say is false. It just means the truth is incidental to whether they're reporting it. It's always why. What is the purpose of it? And two things. One was that they're starting to admit that Ukraine lost the war after lying for a long time and saying Ukraine was winning or going to win. And I think that's because they realize support is down and they have their military industrial complex target now with Middle East. So they don't really need Ukraine. There's really no point in it. And they also are losing and it's kind of a humiliation and there's just giving more money to it. It's just going to make it look worse. And Zelensky, there was a clip of him basically begging on NBC, begging for even loans. He's like, we'll even pay it back. We just need a loan begging for money. And someone said he sounded like a drug addict. And I actually think he sounded like somebody who whose life is on the line if this money doesn't flow. Like this guy, apparently, I mean, I don't really know what's going on in Ukraine really, but reportedly, you know, had some political opponents silenced. Some of, some of them died under very suspicious circumstances, assassinated maybe. And now the money's running out and he can't pay off everybody he needs to pay off. Man, no wonder he's desperate. I, I, be not at all surprised if in a year or two he is no longer with us. I, I think there's a good chance something very bad 
befalls that guy. It's like getting him with the mob, getting in over his head. He seemed very desperate as begging for money. And I don't think he's going to get that much more of it, whatever blackmail they have on our elected representatives, notwithstanding. So that was one thing. But the other thing was they're starting to say that uh, Trump is beating Biden in the polls in all the swing states. And that's not surprising at all. I mean, Biden's the, maybe the worst president of my lifetime. He and George Bush have a really good competition for who's the worst president in my lifetime. I mean, just horrific on every level. But they never would, you know, ABC News is not going to talk about anything negative toward Biden. They redefined recession to avoid talking about the economic performance. But suddenly they're saying that he's trailing Trump in these key polls. And the answer is, why are they saying this? What, what is the purpose of this? And I think it's just clear that no matter how much the true believers can ignore and be led to believe pretty much anything, it's dawning on too many people that Biden's dementia is, is very bad. Like he just cannot talk unscripted. He certainly can't do a debate. It was very surprising to me. They even got him over the finish line in 2020. And I'm amazed he's still president. I can't believe they got it this far. I would be absolutely awestruck if he were president in 2025. Like I would be, I would bet a lot of money that he's not president. Not that they won't cheat if they can get away with it or persuade crazy people to vote, even if they don't cheat. It's not that. That I could see happening. That's that I wouldn't bet against. I just am betting against dementia to this level six months later uh, with all the scrutiny you get, even if he's hiding in his basement and not campaigning, no way he's president. Like, I think there's like, I would say there's like the chances that Biden's president sworn in for a second term are like, it's got to be in the single digit percents at best. So to me, the tell is that they're starting to talk about bad news in the polling. They're not saying bad news in his performance because that would maybe you know, get some people to think, oh, maybe we should vote for someone else, a different party. But the polling is just like, well, they'll say his polling's bad. It's probably because of his age and and we need to get a replacement. People are floating Gavin Newsom, who like just such an empty sack and just seems like a a complete suit, you know, just a complete empty vessel, you know, for whatever he's told to say and do. And maybe, maybe they'll get him in or try to, or one of those kind of CIA Pete's or somebody get one of those people in. But I think they know that Biden is done, that there's just no way he's going to be president. So I thought that was interesting. One interesting thing was, is the whole, you know, the whole Israel Hamas thing. And I had another idea about this, which is that I'm not interested in it. Of course I'm interested in it. Like it could be world war three and it may affect everybody, but like, I'm not interested in the conflict, like who did what to whom, when, and I know that might sound not bad because whatever, I don't owe anybody anything, but it might sound apathetic because people are dying. But I just, I don't feel like we can get facts in these areas now, now that, you know, war is real war. And then there's the propaganda war that goes on with it, the messaging war, the public opinion war. And I think there's just so much of that going on that, it's kind of just soured me on the on the reality of it. And we say, well, there's actually people dying. There's horrible bombings of civilians and all this stuff. And I just think like, well, you know, my position is just like, I really don't want to see innocent civilians get killed, innocent Israelis, innocent Palestinians. I don't want to see them get killed. 
I don't support either you know, the government of Israel. I don't support, obviously, Hamas. And that the innocent people are going to get killed and harmed. And that's how it just seems to be all over the place at different scales, right? Like they, Netanyahu forced the vaccine on his population. Biden administration forced the vaccine on the U.S. population, at least the people that were working in large corporations and government was forced on them. And they don't care about the side effects. They don't care about any of this stuff. You know, we gave all this money to Ukraine to perpetuate the war when we could have negotiated for peace before it started. Didn't have to get Ukraine and NATO. And now how many hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have died and how destroyed that country is. And, you know, it's just the the oligarchs and the warmongers and the people who are bankers who are getting money for this stuff. They don't care about the average person. And to me, this is the same. It's just maybe more graphic images coming out of there, but it's, you know, the Israeli government and Hamas fighting one another, and they don't care about the Palestinians or the ordinary Israelis or what it's going to do to either of them. And that's just how I feel. I mean, I think there was like a couple million people who are displaced in the Congo recently, and nobody's talking about that, you know, killed and displaced through violence. Um, it happens around the world, and there's probably some corrupt oligarchs there doing it. And if you say, well, this is different, you know, the United States supports Israel, it's, it's, it's complicit in what's going on. And yeah, it's also destroyed a million Iraqis too. And um, I didn't vote for that either. And I didn't want that either, you know, and, and I'm not in people like, well, but it was a terrorist attack. And it was, you know, look, save it for somebody who's interested in this. You know, I, I just am not interested. They say, well, you're Jewish. Like, how could you not be interested? It's like, I'm just not, I'm not interested in it. Like I, I'm interested in, I hope that Again, innocent people aren't harmed, but you know, this is just, it's just not my fucking fight. I just, I just don't feel, I mean, I'm just being completely honest. Like, I just don't feel curious about it. Like, I feel almost anti curious. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, again, I give a shit about the suffering of ordinary people, but I don't give a shit about the arguments anymore. I don't care. I don't care who's right and wrong. I don't care who started it. I don't care who made it worse. I don't care who could have, should have, would have done whatever and whose fault it really is. Um, you know, I, that's it. I just, I, and I feel like the, it, it's almost like the, it, it's almost like even though the, the harms are real, as far as I can tell, again, we've been so psyop for so long about January 6th and COVID and those videos of those people dropping dead in China that like, you know, who the fuck really, really knows. But assuming since I follow a diverse set of people who disagree and who with whom I usually disagree about lots of things, none of them seem to say that it's not really happening. I'm going to say it's happening. But like, to me, like part of the PSYOP is like getting you to divide against other people, like getting you to be like, you're not supportive enough of Israel. You know, what kind of Jew are you? Or you know, you're, you don't care about the open air prisons for the Palestinians and the oppression that's happened and the, all the X, Y, and Z. And, and it's not that I don't, again, I, I hope none of those innocent people suffer, but I just honestly am not getting drawn into this shit. Like, I just, I don't really care. I'm sorry. I don't care. I mean, I care about the suffering of the people, but I just don't give a fuck about this. You want to make me care so badly about Ukraine and what's going on and Putin's the worst and and Hamas is the worst and Netanyahu and Israel's the worst. I don't, I'm not interested, not interested. I just, it's like, 
I'm interested in peace and knowledge and understanding and uh, sunlight and uh, healthy food and Bitcoin and sports. I'm interested in those things and uh, civil liberties where I live. And I, I just can't get drawn into other shit. I just don't give a fuck. You know, I mean, sounds callous, but like, I feel like all this noise, it's just like, they're just trying to generate conflict within you and against other people. And, you know, I, I'm a free speech person. I think those Palestinian supporters at Harvard or whatever should be able to say whatever they want, protest whatever they want. It's completely within their rights. So Greenwald interviewed these uh, black students at Harvard who protested, who were, you know, supporting Palestine. And I think there's like a lot of elisions that happen. Like they, they say like, well, they were supporting Hamas They They support terrorism. And then you like read some of what they're saying and they're like, it's a freedom movement. You know, we, we feel they're oppressed and you can agree or disagree with that. I don't give a shit. Okay. I'm not saying what's true. I'm just saying a lot of times what they say, it's like, oh no, no, that's code for kill all the Israelis. A lot of times they say that. And then on the, on the other side, they say the same thing. They say, these are fucking Zionists. They want to wipe the Palestinians off the map. And they're conflating the Israeli government's actions with Israelis. They're like, Israel did this. Well, you mean the people in the Israeli government did this, right? Like the regular Israeli person is not doing that. They have a family and they have a job and they, you know, they're not, they're not bombing these people, right? So there's a, a sense of conflating the actions of the Israeli government with the average Israeli, like we, U.S. destroyed Iraq, killed a million people. Like I didn't destroy Iraq. I didn't do it. I'm not for that, right? Like this is not, not me. Like I'm not part of that. Sorry. I'm not going to take responsibility for that. I'm against it. And so, you know, this, this you want to get like hating these people and I, and I, and Greenwald interviewed them. And again, I didn't even look into all of the shit they said, but I'm just saying what they said on the interview. I mean, I don't have a beef with it. I feel like may disagree with it. I don't even know enough to disagree. You know, I don't even know enough to describe. I'm just like, okay, that's their point of view. They're protesting. They feel they're going to stand up for the right to protest. They feel this is a matter of justice and freedom and they're speaking up for it. Are they wrong? Maybe. Maybe they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Maybe they're propagandized. Maybe they're being fine. So they'll live and learn. They're college kids. And, you know, Bill Ackman wants to blackball them from, you know, being hired and I mean, I think that's a bit, I mean, it's not government. So, you know, he shouldn't hire anyone he doesn't want. If he doesn't like their fucking attitude or their views, then don't hire them. Trying to get like other people not to hire them. You're starting to, to me, that's like a tortious interference with contract. It's not specific because they don't have a contract, but it's sort of a general interference. It's, it's not government interference, but it's sort of like now you're sort of trying to economically destroy someone for their views. I think that's, um, that should almost be actionable. Like you shouldn't do that. But if you don't want to hire them, fuck them. Don't hire them. You know, you think their views are fucking stupid and they're idiots and they're easily propagandized. They're useful idiots. Fine. Don't hire them, you know, but I just feel like this sort of blackballing and putting them on a list is, seems like overblown. And even if they had the worst views, right? I mean, you're allowed to say shit. And, and I think another problem that we have is we conflate things that are not the same, right? Like blowing up and killing innocent people, you know, you should get the death penalty for that. But advocating for that, saying... I'm on their side. They're freedom fighters. You might find that abhorrent, but saying it is not the same as doing it. It's not even in the fucking same universe as doing it. 
but you know, it's, I think there's been some, I think this is an established fact scientifically that there's a part of your brain, the amygdala maybe that regulates emotion and in your brain, the, the, you know, you, you it's symbolic, like you're, everything's symbolic, right? So if, if the idea of somebody saying that and imagining what they're advocating for and the idea that somebody actually did that is still just an idea in your brain, right? You're, you're not, if, if you're not the victim of it, um, it's just an imagining of it, then it's equated in your brain. Like you're emotionally that those are the same thing, advocating for it and doing it. But obviously in reality, those are not remotely the same thing. And so we get, you know, super enraged um, at people who say the shit that symbolically translates to doing the shit, but those are not the same thing. So I'm pretty much a free speech absolutist. You're allowed, you should be allowed to say dumb shit and people should be allowed to say what you said is really stupid and that's it. And, and, and there's another thing. It's like, let's say, you know, they are just completely duped. And again, I'm, I don't do the research on this. I'm not going into the origins of Israel and the conflict and each of the wars and who did what, who agreed to what and whether that agreement was coerced. I'm not, I just, I'm not interested in it. I'm interested in football. You know, I'm interested in um, civil liberties. I'm interested in medicine. I'm interested in health. I'm interested in having freedom for myself and my family. There is that Martin Luther King quote says injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I believe that. And I think that uh, we should be for justice everywhere. But I think usually the locals have a better handle on that than people thousands of miles away weighing in based on media propaganda, you know, and, and if everybody got out of the way, maybe it would get solved. You know, the U.S. meddles, the other countries meddle, and then it just becomes intractable. There's now people, arms industry and others that have vested interests in conflicts continuing, um, whereas probably the ordinary people um, do not have a vested interest. I know there are Israelis and Palestinians who are friends. You know, they, that is, there are people who are friends, and I'm sure that those people do not have a, they have a vested interest in the conflict ending very strongly, but that doesn't mean that everybody else doesn't. And there's a clip of Netanyahu. I don't know if I mentioned this on my last podcast, talking to Jordan Peterson of all people. And he's kind of boasting how he used Israel as, as an experiment for the mRNA vaccines to be an example to the world of what they did and to test them out. I mean, this guy fucking experimented on his own population, Netanyahu. And then this is the guy now running the response. So this is, this is, you know, again, I don't think things are what they probably seem. I don't know enough to really opine confidently on any of it, except that just personally, I just don't give a fuck. I mean, I, I give a fuck that it could have blowback for the rest of the world. As a Jewish person, I'm not thrilled with the idea that there's going to be more anti-Semitism as a result, which seems like it's likely somebody's gaining from that. Somebody wants that to be, you know, I, I, I kind of think like it could be that there are a lot of people for domestic political reasons or international people behind the scenes for reasons that we don't even understand that need to distract from the collapse of the financial ledger, which is ongoing right now. This debt is now more than a trillion a year in interest. Remember they were talking about this a few years ago to mint a trillion dollar coin and have that, you know, be the solution to the crisis. Well, now they'd have to mint one every two months or something. I mean, this is just, it's just out of control and this system is not 
going to sustain at those debt levels without massive, massive inflation. It's the only way out or a total collapse. And they're going to choose the inflation. Probably the timeline is the only thing that's really up in the air. And given that backdrop and the absolute failure of COVID where they just basically injected all these people and the side effects are coming home to roost. And it's just fucking common knowledge now. I mean, people just know how destructive that was and the architects behind it. And like, they might just need this fucking war. They, they might, you know, people are like, well, don't get, someone tweeted, don't, I think it was Brett Weinstein tweeted, don't give them the gift sort of toward Netanyahu. Like don't give them the gift of overreacting to the attack. And then, you know, having everybody hate Israel. But I was like, are you sure that the gift is only for Hamas and the Israel haters? Maybe the gift is far wider than that, that having this sort of divisive conflict is exactly what they want right now to split people up. It's exactly what they want you paying attention to. It's exactly how they're going to get sort of the, the population divided and even the world divided along these lines. And and distract from the fact that they stole everything from everybody and that they poisoned so many people. And it's not just the mRNA vaccine, it's other vaccines, it's plastics, it's polyester, it's additives in food, it's, it's the uh, Monsanto pesticides. I mean, this, they've poisoned you, uh, you know, a hundred ways from Sunday. We're in the information age. Shit is coming out. People understand what's going on. And... Um, they need to avoid the reckoning. So I just, you know, I just look at it from that perspective and I don't deny that there's just massive human suffering going on. It's never justified and it's inflicted by people who do not give a shit about their own population or any other population. And there's massive human suffering going on around the world. And they, this to me is just a divisive thing. And I just, I'm just not really taking the bait. You know, I mean, I'm talking about it on the podcast, I guess, but I'm trying to do it in a sense of like, I don't know, you know, to me, it's just not, it's just not my focus, you know, the details of it and the right and wrong of it. And I'm not, it's not my fight. It's not my fight. And, uh, as I said, uh, I think it will have bad effects for not just Jewish people, but people who, you know, look at the, the Harvard kids are now being destroyed. Now, I mean, I, there's a, you know, the shade and for it, obviously aspect of it where, well, they would have destroyed you for not taking the MRNA. So fuck them, you know? They, they, they're getting destroyed for their impermissible views, even though it should be permissible. But I, I'm really more on the side of like, no, don't stoop to the level. Like it's free speech. They can say what the fuck they want. Individuals can hire them or not hire them if they want. Don't try to destroy them. Just point out the hypocrisy. Just be like, okay. I mean, you're a much stronger uh, position if you do that. I remember um, Chris Jackson, the LSU guy playing the NBA, uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, I think he changed his name to. And he was always sitting during the national anthem because of what uh, the U.S. had done to Muslim countries. It's before Kaepernick. Kaepernick just kind of, you know, got more spotlight for it. But this guy was being criticized a lot. It's like in the late 90s. And I remember thinking, no, this is good, right? Like he's sitting during the national anthem, like in Iran or somewhere, if you like didn't honor the national anthem or whatever, maybe they fucking, I don't even know actually. But from what I'm told, you know, they might, you might get in real trouble. You might get jailed or worse in authoritarian countries if you don't honor the leader or honor the song and you know people should instead of criticizing him I mean, they can criticize him if they want it's free speech but instead of being like this is a horrible person deport him or whatever they were saying at the time just point out yeah that's his right i support his right i don't agree with it you know i think america is a great country but 
not the American government, certainly not as currently constituted, but the U.S. and the axioms on which it stands is a great country. But they should have said exactly. And, and we disagree with him, but he's allowed to do that in this country. And that's why this country is great. And use it as evidence against his point. Like, yeah, you're allowed to sit. And in sitting and protesting the U.S., you are being allowed to affirm the greatness of the U.S. A lot of countries wouldn't let you do that. And instead, they went all authoritarian and tried to shut it down and attack the guy. And, and again, you're allowed to verbally attack anybody for anything. But I think you win by being like, yeah, those woke idiots were trying to fucking cancel me for saying some shit that was obviously true. And even if it wasn't true, I had the right to say it. But I'm not one of those people. They can say whatever they want, right? They can say things and I'm for free speech. And, and you sort of win by showing your tolerance. You know, I think that's like the move, but of course they're falling into the same authoritarianism that the woke morons did and they're following in their footsteps. And they're just like, yeah, you're no better than those woke morons. You're just waiting for your opportunity. You're all a bunch of opportunists. That's how I felt like uh, about the fantasy sports industry. It was, it was all these like younger, I don't know if they were jealous or whatever it was, but they, you know, it was all these younger people who were they waited for their opportunity to like pounce if like somebody said something out of step with the consensus. And that's what you don't want to be is an opportunist, you know, somebody who's a hateful little bitch who's just waiting for the permission to, to exercise it, to spew it on other people, right? Like that's, you know, you, you can have the opportunity now to destroy these woke Harvard kids, but don't take it. Just say, yeah, I don't agree with that. I think they're misguided if you think they're misguided and uh, say, but you know, I might not hire them. I'm not going to hire people who think that if you, if that's your position, but I'm not going to like try to destroy these people. I mean, they're just expressing themselves. All right. A couple other thoughts. I got a bit hopeful during this walk also a different Monday um, because I was thinking like, man, if this financial system collapses, we're fucked and it's going to be really bad. And, but in all the other prior collapses, like you look at the Weimar Republic, Germany, when there's hyperinflation and it collapsed and it was really hard because how do you transact? Like how do you get people to deliver food to the city? How do you get people to take the garbage out and do the basic functions? How do you get them to keep the electricity flowing? How do you get anything if the money doesn't work? And it was a real problem in those societies where there were inflationary collapses, but they didn't have another functioning system at the ready that takes two seconds to opt into. And this is what's amazing about Bitcoin is it works. It works at scale. It already works at scale. And people are like, I don't need Bitcoin. I got my checking account. And for most people in the West, at least as of this very moment, maybe in a month, we won't be saying it or in a year, but as of this very moment, that's right. They don't really need it. They're, you know, they can earn money and spend money and live okay still. It's, it's not a problem. But if it did become a problem, if the system did collapse under its own weight with debt or inflation, then they would learn Bitcoin in like two seconds. I mean, it would just be a necessity. They would all learn it. And so it's ready. It's there. It's waiting. When it's needed, it's there. And that is a situation that has never in the history of humanity been there where the weaker currency collapses and it doesn't need to be. I mean, it will be a seismic shock of who owns what, right? Because you're going to have all these Bitcoiners with resources and all these fiat people who suddenly are Bitcoin poor. And it's going to be a huge shift in resources. But in terms of people who create value, the people trucking your food in, they're just going to get paid in Bitcoin, the truckers, you know, the 
grocery stockers. They, they don't give a shit, right? They don't have anything on the ledger anyway. They just make paychecks. So what does it matter as long as the system works? The only people who can get rugged are the people that saved in the wrong currency. And that's bad. I mean, it's terrible. If you're like a, you know, it's not really a middle class anymore, but a middle classist person, you know, who was frugal and didn't spend wastefully and you saved a few hundred thousand dollars and that shit evaporates due to inflation and you didn't know about Bitcoin or you were propagandized that it was killing the environment or something stupid like that. Um, it's super unfair to you and terrible. And maybe now you're in your 60s and it's not so easy to offer value like somebody in the prime years are. And that's going to be horrible. But in terms of the functioning of the economy and society, I started thinking, you know, actually, this is going to go not entirely smoothly if it happens, but smoother than it than it would in any other circumstance. And then the other thing that occurred to me, the, the real risk is these people who have the control the fiat ledger doing something insane, like launching a nuclear weapon in a world war or something before the thing collapses, you know, once just anything to hold on to power, anything to distract and disrupt and you know, make people agree to draconian laws and what can be said and free speech laws and all the stuff that they're going to try to do if there were a world war and it was much more serious than it is now. And all of the excuses they could have in an emergency like that um, to justify controlling everything. And you think, yeah, that that is a risk. And we're sort of in that window now where they still have power. Fiat people still have power, right? I mean, Bitcoin is still less than a trillion dollar market cap right now. So it's not like it's one-tenth of gold, one-sixteenth of gold right now. So it's not like it's a major asset at this very second. So the people with the, the printer still have the power. The people that control the ledger still have the power. But I feel like, they're like basically they're not as incentivized yet push the button because they still have power. It's only when they're really in danger of losing power, when they realize that, that they'll have incentive to do something really, really crazy. But my hope is that by the time they realize that they've lost, they push the button and nothing happens. Like that their, their fiat power is gone, that the money's not what it was and they can't just finance another war or finance the military anymore. Like by the time they realize it's desperate enough to do the crazy thing. They've already lost power. That's kind of the idea. And like right now it's the danger time because they still have power and they're losing it and they're getting more desperate, which is why they're trying to censor. But in the end, by the time they really get crazy enough, desperate enough to really go nuclear, literally and figure figuratively, the power may not be there. And that is a kind of a heartening idea for me that They've already lost, you know, these WEF types, the, uh, you know, these, these people that think that, that they're going to somehow corral humanity into a one world government with CBDCs or, you know, sort of have total control over your transactions like that shit, that shit's already lost. And I think we're going to have a, maybe have sort of, you know, I said Elon Musk, um, you know, was the antichrist in my piece, meaning more that like, he's the one with the power and we're going to have more of a, a different kind of dystopia than the WF envisions. And it's going to be more voluntary though, that like people are going to be the way everyone's on Twitter so much. And Twitter is extremely addictive. Now I find it like when I'm on it, like I spend too much time, I waste time. The algorithm's gotten better at finding things that, you know, trigger the fear, hope nexus in my brain. Probably just shut it off for the whole week and except Tuesdays and eventually maybe just kill it altogether. 
but that, you know, that's just social media. I mean, wait till you can put on a Neuralink or a brain thing and like be in a video game world or be, you know, with your 74 virgins, but in, you know, while still alive. And then people start to just absolutely escape into these virtual worlds at the expense of the real world. And that it's all voluntary and they're eating steak in their brain and they're having a menage with supermodels in their mind all the time. And they're like, why would I transact in the real world? You know, this is so much better. And that they're all sort of drugging themselves 24 seven, the new technology. And that's the real dystopia. They don't even need to control people through force, through CBDCs or any of that shit, because they've got you voluntarily submitting to the matrix completely. And the technologies being developed, the Neuralink type stuff, that to me is the, is maybe the, I don't, I'm not going to say, I'm not making a prediction, but in a way it could be sort of a bait and switch. Like, oh, thank God we, we've gotten away from the vaccine passports and all this other shit. And instead it's more of a voluntarily voluntary enslavement that's hard to resist. That could be, that sounds better to me because, because I think, oh, I'm just going to resist this, right? I'm just going to have that one glass of cider and then stop. I'm just going to not do it. I'm going to ha- try to have a more uh, meaningful life. And maybe in doing so, you'll be a threat because you could be an example that people could you know, see as a counterpoint to going all in on the, uh, on the drug, but, uh, but maybe they would just ignore you. They'd be like, oh, that's fine. You know, have your little uh, farm and your sauna and your swimming pool and your podcast and your sports or whatever you want, but everyone else is on board with this other shit. So we're fine. You know, we're, we've got them controlled that way. Maybe, I don't know, just kind of speculating. Anyway, that's it for now. Till next time.